We will be in Acts 22, verse 22. Acts 22, verse 22. The sermon this week is going to start the exact same way we started the sermon last week. I'm going to sum up the entire sermon with one viral video of an ancient door, an old door from like the 1400s or something, that is famous because of how huge it is and how it closes. All right, so check it out. Here's that video. All right, now everybody say this, don't do that. That's the whole sermon, okay? The leaders in Israel are closing the door of their hearts to the gospel. It's been 24 years since Paul was saved. They have all the evidence they need, and they are closing the door of their hearts to the gospel. Primarily the point of this passage and this sermon is don't do that. Now, today Paul is not in front of a bloodthirsty mob like last week that tried to kill him. He's in front of the Sanhedrin, the very ruling body of Israel that he was once a part of that sent him out to destroy the church over two decades before. It's going to be courtroom drama. And remember, through the whole sermon, the point is, don't do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray today that each one of us would examine our heart to see if we are in the faith. Oh Lord, I pray that people today would look and see if their hearts are closed to the gospel, closed to God, closed to the truth of the Bible. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to live with our hearts wide open to you, receiving your love through the truth found in Scripture. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, Acts 22, 22. Are you there? Acts 22, 22. Paul still has a black eye. Some blood from the day before is on his brow. It was a rough day. In Acts 22, 22, we hear what happened after he got done talking to the angry mob. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and fleeing dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. First point we're going to see here in the text is this. Trust God when you face persecution. 
You can write that down. Trust God when you face persecution. That implies that you will face persecution. Your life will get hard because of what you believe and because of how you behave as a Christian. College students, if you read your Bible and watch your language and vow to stay pure until marriage, you will suffer. Young adults, if you go to church and don't go clubbing, you will get made fun of. Married couples, if you build on biblical principles and teach your kids the right and wrong found in Scripture, parent your kids to live out and love the Bible, your kids will be different and others will see it and not like it. If you at your workplace stand your ground and don't cave when you're pressured to say or do things that are wrong, you will be singled out. And high school students, if you stand out at all for anything, especially because you're one of those goody Christians, you will suffer. Hey, trust God when you face persecution. Paul models this for us here. He's trusting God while he's facing persecution. Write this down. Because he predicted Paul's suffering. Trust God when you face persecution. Because he predicted Paul's suffering. He told them the future. You're going to go to jail. Trouble is waiting for you in Jerusalem. That reveals a few things. That God knows everything about your future. And that persecution is part of his plan for your life. He told him it was going to happen before it happened, that gives us encouragement that we can trust God when we face persecution. Hey, listen, persecution is a key part of God's kingdom plan. And none of God's kids get to sit it out. You will suffer if you believe and behave what the Bible tells you to. We are his witnesses, and Jesus said, if they rejected me, they'll reject you too. Luke 6, 26, Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For that is how your fathers treated the false prophets. Is everyone in your life good with you right now? Maybe you're doing it wrong. Hey, we are the plan to personally tell others about Jesus that will invite persecution. Trust God when you face persecution. Write this down. Because he delivered Paul many times. We see throughout the book of Acts that Paul was persecuted time and time and time and time and time and time again. God delivered him. Several Bible books have already been written by this point in Paul's life. Particularly 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, Paul catalogs his sufferings and tells all the things that he's been through. But in this text, what do we see? Already we see that in chapter 22, the mob was trying to kill him. And the Romans ran up and saved Paul's life. And then Paul shared his testimony. And then they tried to grab him again. And they pulled him to safety again. Now, he's about to go in front of the council. Just before this, they were about to flog him. Can you emotionally put yourself in Paul's shoes? Here's a picture of like a, uh, of a Roman centurion. So like the commander, the people who are like grabbing Paul out of the crowd. Look like that. 
And then guys like that stretch Paul out and they get ready to whip him. How would you feel if a bunch of guys who looked like that were about to hurt you to make you confess that you're a no good troublemaker and why exactly is this riot happening? The Tribune is called Claudius Lysias. He actually saved Paul's life already, but he has to respond to the mob or his life could be in danger. So he saved Paul's life, but then he brings him in for interrogation through flogging. Flogging could be gruesome if they use whips with metal and bone shards in them. Could tear open your skin, your flesh, your back. It's a form of torture, extreme torture, and when you start a citywide, citywide riot, they are going to get to the bottom of what trouble you're causing. This, however, is the commander's second error. He first chained Paul, and now he's stretching him out to whip him, but Paul is a Roman citizen, and because this commander is now in big trouble legally, he has to make the situation right, all right? He made a mistake. Uh, he chained Paul up. Now he's about to whip him, and not only is Paul a citizen, but did you hear him ask that follow-up question? Well, how much did you have to pay for your citizenship? He's trying to gauge where he's at on the citizenship, right? And he says, I was a citizen by birth. Now he's in big trouble, huge, huge trouble. Because this isn't just a one-off guy who got in. He's got family and they've got connections, all right? You know how politics work. I know what state you live in, all right? You're figuring out what's happening here. This guy's in hot water legally and God's going to use that to make him make things right. All, everyone in the room leaves, all right? They're in huge trouble. They're going to get in trouble with Rome. Check it out. Here's a picture of Rome. Okay, you don't want to get dragged to that city with some splaining to do. You following me? Are you, are you reading the room here? Of what's, some of you watch courtroom drama, okay, and you know exactly what's going on here. They're in big trouble. This is all of the Lord. It's easy to confuse Paul with the criminal based on how the mob was acting. And if they had taken his cloak off and looked at his back, he would have looked like a criminal. Paul would have been torn up in his flesh. A man who has been beaten many times is probably a criminal. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11 that he had received 39 lashes from the Jews five times. Okay, math people already know this, but that's 195 times this guy has been whipped for Jesus. Is that going to leave a mark? When I was a kid, my friend hit me with a Twizzler once, and that left a mark, all right? I don't even want to know what it's like to get whipped on the back 195 times. Three times he got beaten with rods. He was stoned once. You don't survive that. And the Bible reads like he came back up from the dead because he was able to go back into the city, and he was able to go on to the next city the next day. It's amazing how he suffered. Three times he was shipwrecked. Three times! Here's a picture of a shipwreck. I don't know if you've ever gone on a cruise, but imagine if that's your cruise ship. You got problems, okay? If your ship is sideways a whole night and a whole day, Paul said on one of those shipwrecks, he was just floating in the Mediterranean. And yes, there are sharks there, 50 species of them. All right. Do you see what's going on here? Not only does Paul love Jesus enough to suffer incredibly for him, but do you believe that God can and will deliver you when you face persecution? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
he got Paul through it many times, Paul said. He was on death's door. God will deliver you from persecution just like he delivered Paul. Trust God when you face persecution because he predicted Paul's sufferings and because he delivered Paul many times. And write this down, especially if you've done nothing wrong. Especially if you've done nothing wrong. Paul's done nothing wrong. He's accused falsely. If you remember last week, there was this hilarious accusation when they first put him in. He spoke, and he's like, hey, can I talk to the crowd? They're like, oh, you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian terrorist who led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? Uh, no. No, I am not that guy. You could be accused of shocking things, because Satan doesn't need to use the truth to get you, right? He's the father of lies. So, yes, you will be falsely accused. Maybe you've clearly done nothing wrong. And it can get harder and harder to live out your Christian life. Hey, get ready for it. Has this happened to you in the past? People who've tried to make your life hard because you're different and they've falsely accused you? Is it happening right now? It will happen soon. You'll be thrown off. You'll be harassed, pressured, mocked, and tempted to retaliate in a sinful manner. But look at what happened. Paul kept his cool. Now the commander is in hot water. And he's motivated to follow due process now because he's, well, covering himself. So number one, trust God when you face persecution. Number two, write this down. Don't be a whitewashed wall. Don't be a whitewashed wall. All right, so reading on, it says we started in 2222, and now we have reached 23. He's now in front of the Sanhedrin, and here's what it says. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. It's never good when your trial starts out with a slap to the face. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Boy, are the wheels falling off. Those who stood by him said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Quoting Exodus there. So let's unpack the beginning of this trial, okay? Fundamentally, this is a warning to all of us. Remember that start to finish. What the Sanhedrin is doing is what we are not to do. The Sanhedrin is a member of 71 councils, council members. The high priest has the most authority. He's appointed by Rome. And we have a few pictures here. Here's a picture of Jerusalem where this is all happening. So just get a feel for the scale here, okay? This isn't the ancient world. We're not talking about the Flintstones, okay? This is civilization, and they are uh, representing the Sanhedrin, the nation of Israel. This is the Temple Mount where Paul got in trouble. They dragged him out of the temple, uh, which is that center complex there. They started beating him right on the outer courts, and now they've dragged him into a side room where the Sanhedrin meet on the next day. Here's a picture of kind of the Sanhedrin meeting council. These are the religious elites. And Paul was most likely one of the members on this council, given the fact that he had authority, voting power. 
uh, to condemn those to death when he was destroying the church. He also had letters from the entire council on their behalf to persecute the church. This is what it would have looked like and felt like. So this is the highest court of Israel. Imagine for a moment if our Supreme Court in the United States was also Congress together, 71 people, not elected, 71 people. And imagine if, in addition, they were in charge of every church in the country. And the treasury, all the money. What a nightmare! Welcome to AD 57. Now, it's a little confusing because how could Paul not know who the high priest was? He shouted this out and then do they know who Paul is? There's things we don't know here. So let's unpack a few of those things. There had been eight high priests since Caiaphas presided over the trial of Jesus 24 years before. So it's not crazy to think that Paul didn't know who the next one was. There was likely a turnover right around this time. So it's possible that the high priest wasn't sitting in his seat or was close to him. He didn't know who issued the charge to slap him. Maybe his eyesight was bad. We just don't know. But there's no lack of credibility here because Paul didn't know who the high priest was. It actually can be pretty consistent with what we know about that. It was also 24 years ago that they sent Paul out to destroy the church, and he was a young, up-and-coming star. So the fact that they aren't immediately all clear on who he is isn't a problem either. I don't know what you were doing 24 years ago in 1999, right? I was a DJ going to parties playing that Prince song because everyone was excited about the uh, Y2K coming, right, before the terror, right? So that was us 24 years ago. It's understandable that maybe you don't know everything that was going on in 1999. So here's Paul, and they're not all going to be like, oh, it's you. Some of them don't even know who he is. This is all understandable. Paul is demonstrating great care to obey the law. They were wrong to slap him because what he said was right. He was wrong to say what he said because you aren't to revile the high priest. So they did something wrong, then Paul did something wrong, then Paul admitted he did something wrong and he took it back. Contrast shows clarity. Even when Paul has been lynched by a mob and hauled in front of this show trial, he is carefully trying to follow the law and apologetic when he doesn't. They don't care about the law. The contrast is supposed to show us the character of these rulers. And Paul uses an expression found in the Old Testament to describe them. He says, God will strike you, verse 3, you whitewash wall. That is a huge condemnation. We'll get to that in a moment. Write this down. Don't close your eyes to the evidence. Don't be a whitewashed wall. Don't close your eyes to the evidence. This council has no excuse. Even if they're a little confused on who Paul is for a moment, they know all about Jesus. And they have no excuse to continue to reject the message of the gospel and the messengers of God. Some from this very council, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, were already saved decades ago. And church history suggests that they were removed from the council, or Joseph of Arimathea may have been older. 
But they got saved. Paul was likely a member of this council. He got saved, and their champion, church destroyer, is back. And he's a Christian. So here's how this trial should have gone down. We were wrong, Paul. Really wrong. Boy, should we have listened to John the Baptist 30 years ago, or the wise men 60 years ago, or Isaiah 700 years ago. Every one of us, let's get down on our face right now, or God's going to destroy us and our nation. Case closed. Now, is that how humans behave? No. So that's not how the trial goes down. It starts with a slap. Well, here we go again. In addition, the Sanhedrin, way back in Acts chapter 4, brought in Peter and John, and they warned them, stop teaching in the name of this Jesus or else. Well, that didn't work. So in chapter 5, they bring all the apostles in, and that didn't work either because God sprang them from jail in the middle of the night, humiliated the council. Then they had to bring them back in and say, uh, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. They beat them all. That didn't work. Then they appointed Paul. After they hauled Stephen in, one of the first deacons in chapter 6 and 7, and they killed him, Paul went on his rampage in chapter 8, and he got saved in chapter 9. Man, has it been backfiring for this council? And still, still, they refuse to believe. Hey, don't be a whitewashed wall. Don't close your eyes to the evidence. Have your eyes been opened to the evidence that there is a God and to the evidence that he is real and he's working all around you? I got an email from a woman this week and she said, Pastor Ryan, in your last sermon, you mentioned that we should every day find a way to just ask somebody to pray with them and just, just do something, right? To either tell people about Jesus or just tell them God loves them, right? She said, several weeks ago, I came out of my surgery and I was like on the table waking up and God prompted me to say, can I pray with anyone in the room? Isn't that adorable? <laughs> First and foremost, isn't that really awesome? And uh, three nurses in the room and one of them goes, yeah, my son is actually on a kidney waiting list. He needs a transplant. You could pray for him. Okay. They prayed for her son. I think his name was Danny. And, uh, and she went home. This nurse got this woman's phone number and called her and said, the next day, my son got a donor. She said, listen. She said, listen, my son doesn't believe in God, but I do. And I told him God did this. And he's got to see it now. Now look, maybe he will, maybe he won't. When people lack faith, it's not because they lack evidence. People saw Jesus rise from the dead and still didn't believe. So it's not that there's just a lack of evidence and that's why they don't believe. The nature of unbelief, we're learning about our sin here, the nature about unbelief isn't lack of evidence. We love darkness. We love darkness. So when the evidence comes, God can use that to show us the truth is true. You will still have an opportunity to say, yeah, still not in. And that's what the council is doing here. 
They are closing their eyes to the crystal clear evidence that has been put right in front of them. Hey, what about you? Are your eyes open to the evidence of what you've seen in the lives all around you? Don't close your eyes to the evidence. Write this down. Don't close your ears to the Bible. Don't close your ears to the Bible. Are your ears opened or closed to the Word of God? So Paul is indicting them. And are you seeing what's happening here? Paul's actually not the one on trial. This is the trial of the rulers of Israel by God, and Paul's the prosecuting attorney, okay? That's what's going on here. So he mentions this phrase, you, you whitewash wall in verse 3. Okay, so here's some Bible verses from Ezekiel that tell us where that came from. It's a huge indictment. Precisely because they have misled my people, that's the rulers, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build the wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. So the picture here is a wall's about to fall, and they just put plaster on it. That's a symbol of the nation that's about to be judged. And then it says in Ezekiel 13, 14, And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it. You shall know that I am the Lord. Jesus took it a step further. He further insulted the rulers. Go on to the next verse where he said this, Woe to you, scribes!